everybody. Welcome to Guys 5 Movies. This is one of your co-hosts, Chris Gasper. This is Frank Pellicone. You're listening to episode 180, and we're covering the top five horror movies of 2003. So, mm. Frank, um, you want to give us a little update? I haven't asked you in a few months. Uh, what's going on in horror by uh, the year 2003 um, overall? Uh, you're starting to see some some Asian stuff like make a lot of money overseas and kind of see the influence over here somewhat. Um, you're also seeing like a much larger slate of releases than previous years of um, big budget horror movies, or at least like bigger budget horror movies. Uh, most of which are not like very good, but still there's the presence and um, they're starting to make money. Um, I remember being super stoked for House of a Thousand Corpses to come out because I was so excited to see like what a Rob Zombie movie would look like. Hmm. Um, bunch of stuff that you know, Darkness Falls, Final Destination Two, um, House of the Dead, Jeepers Creepers Two. Um, I don't know what else. There's some sequels like there's a Mimic movie, there's a Puppet Master movie. Not that those were released theatrically, but you know, still, like, those are, like, notable, like, franchises. Um, one of the bigger things for the year is the Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake, the Marcus Nispel mm-hmm. uh, remake comes out this year, um, and the first Underworld movie is released this year, too, and both of those movies were pretty successful at the box office, so hmm. you're seeing, like, a lot more just general horror, both domestically and um foreign and this is like kind of the influx of the import of these horror movies into not so much in 2003 but the stuff that comes out in 2003 um you have companies like uh uh tartan asia extreme um is a big one from this time that starts picking up all the horror movies and like just kind of weird um like indie foreign horror and thriller movies, um, Kino films, uh, Scream Factory, um, they start to pick up like a lot of movies. So you start to see a lot of the DVD because this is like the heyday of the collector DVD sets and sure. just the stuff being released um, domestically. So every week you're starting to see releases from lesser known Asian horror and stuff from the past. Um, and we actually have three movies on this list, all of which I found through just those companies I just mentioned, just buying them randomly um, without really any kind of foreknowledge of them. So in terms of our own history, the, these are like the Best Buy Borders days when things were getting released all the time and you were picking stuff up, right? Yeah, where you just see, like again, like if I saw Tartan, Tartan is like the Scottish, like, whatever pattern like t-a-r-t-a-n mm-hmm. um tartan had a label called asia extreme which was right all the chan park movies um a lot of uh takashi Mike stuff came out on tartan um they just they released at least like one or two films a week and it was horror um action inspired like anime-esque live action stuff um some serious drama uh there's a movie called address unknown that's kind of like a 
um, South Korean, I don't know, like Return from War coming of age tale that's that's really good that came out on mm. Carton Video. Um, but they were just every every like week or couple of weeks you could count on Tartan to release something good. Um, same with Kino. Kino did uh, again. They were like another distributor of a lot of Takashi Miike movies. Um, I want to say uh, uh, Katakuri's was on Kino. I think um, I'm pretty sure that Ichi the Killer is a Kino release. And then you had Scream Factory and um, Shock Factory that were doing not only just. Uh, Japanese and Asian horror, but they were doing some of the older European horror. Like they released a lot of the Euro sleaze stuff on box sets. Um, right. The Pete Walker collection was from them. Um, like all the zombie collections and Nazi extremity collections and stuff. Just there was always like something every week that was coming out from one of those companies that was either hard to find or previously unseen, and so it was pretty cool. Uh, it was a good time to, you know, be a collector, and I still have a lot of those DVDs just... You still see those names pop up a lot on things like Tubi and stuff like that, like when you're watching movies, like, yeah. for the distribution. Yeah, I mean, I think that... I think they... I mean, I know that Tartan still releases movies domestically from Asia. Um, so I guess that all those companies maybe are still active in terms of distribution and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um DVD collecting had gone down a little bit, but in the past couple of years has had a really big um, surge in boutique label DVD sales Hmm. where it's just, um, it's kind of like the video game limited run phenomenon where they take and they're trying to entice you with uh, the idea of the limited run DVD. And it actually, I mean, like they put really nice slip covers, uh, new original art. Um, you get a lot of interesting, like, kind of cool collector's editions releases, and they're not, like, a huge amount of money, you know, like, $25, $30 mm-hmm. for, like, a nice, like, set or whatever, so a lot of times if it's something that you really want to see, it feels like it's worth it. Sure. Although that, all that stuff ends up being on Arrow and Tubi and whatever. Right. Screenbox. Yeah, let me tell you, for one of these movies, you had to give me your old DVD and let me borrow it so I could watch it. And, um, man, do I realize how much I don't miss DVDs, like, whatsoever. Yeah, it's rough. It's like, I do you remember that time period where it's, like, the cool, like, moving graphic was kind of neat and made it an experience? Uh-uh. Like, you I, don't I remember that, like, no, initially? I, I remember it happening. I always hated it. It's like the first few times like it happened, it was like, oh, that's neat. Like, you know, you got the music playing and it's like you're you hit and play. Um, and then it quickly that 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 little bit of like uh what innovation like, you know, didn't jolt anything in me yeah. anymore. And now I wanna die. Like the I, idea I, of going in the settings, like like tap, 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 down arrow, right? Choose the language back. And then I have to like listen to it all start again and go through the animation motion and then hit play and then go through another animation. Whew. So I'm trying to remember if there was anything that I actually enjoyed that did that. I want to say that seven I thought was pretty cool in the way that like it opens that DVD because I'm pretty sure that seven is like bits from his like um, notebooks or whatever maybe is how you like select mm-hmm. things. Yeah. But dude, I remember the game. Like 
when you when you booted up the game or whatever you like phrasing you want to use for that, it was like two minutes until you could actually play the yeah. movie. Yeah, some got that shit, yeah, man. Some like, got real ridiculous. Yeah, the Matrix took forever. God, there was something. I feel like the Harry Potter movies for some reason took a long time too. There was something Frankie used to watch when he was little that I swear was like a four minute like delay from when you put that DVD in the player to when you could actually watch the movie. <laughs> Interminable. Yeah. Yeah. I remember towards the end of DVDs, um, constantly bitching about how I missed VHS because at least you could just put it in and fast forward like easily and just get through all those credits. That was the other thing is the, the non skippable credits at times that they would put on things. Yeah, that was terrible. Or that the was that was the tail like, end. Ads. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, when you would fuck Warner Brothers was really bad for that. Mm-hmm. Like Warner Brothers always wanted to show you three or four trailers before they would let you actually watch anything. Yeah. Um. So they yeah. were super annoying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I got no. I got mm-hmm. no love for old school DVDs. Like now, it's even more annoying because you're not even putting them into. Like, I don't own a DVD player anymore. I have my PS4, so that's right. what I put DVDs in. And then I gotta wait for the PS4 to recognize the fucking disc and right. tell me that it's okay to play. And then sure. I gotta figure out how my the fucking archaic technology on this goddamn 25-year-old DVD works with my, like, my remote, my, you know, video game. Control. Right, which isn't the best remote in the world either, using that controller. No. So, um, yeah. No, I should I use my 360. That's actually a better probably anyway yeah so off the top um, but that's i think yeah, it's 2003 i think it's entirely on topic so you're getting a lot of stuff that's coming out directly on dvd as well as these movies that are being theatrically released um there wasn't like a whole lot from this year that was close to making the list mm-hmm. um there's a movie that and i we talked about this briefly before we started the podcast you had never heard of it movie called dead end that's a um Almost like a ultra long Twilight Zone episode starring uh, Ray Wise. That's Ray Wise and Lynn Shay actually are both in it. Um, that movie's okay. Like it's got some cool stuff in it, but it's mostly just kind of like overdone. Um, Dreamcatcher is this year, and Dreamcatcher isn't a terrible movie, but it's also not like great. Right. Um, Final Destination Two is fine. I'm not like the hugest fan of that um, series, but I think they're okay. Like I think they're fine for for what they are. Um, like I said, you know, you have stuff like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake, which is terrible. Um, uh, what's it called? Um, Under Underworld, which I think is like an okay series, but it's nothing great. Um, there's a couple of like the first Wrong Turn, which is not a great movie, is that year. Um, there's a an uninvited, um, not the remake the American remake movie, but a Korean movie called Uninvited that's pretty good. Um, But I couldn't remember it well enough when I was reading about it, and it wasn't available anywhere immediately. And I don't think I have it on DVD, so it was something where I just had to kind of, like, let it go. But I remember liking that movie a a bit. And it's not Uninvited, the 1988. um... Well, no, it's not the Killer (laughs) Cat movie. Right. That movie is one of the greatest movies ever made. Um... And then, yeah, just a bunch of, like, direct-to-video garbage. I mean, this is truly where 
DVDs were, I mean, I guess they hadn't been like super expensive for a while, but this is really like the start of when you could go buy like a brand new DVD on release date for $9.99 in some cases. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, what I used to do, because at this point, I did not have cable television, I think, or it was close to the time when I had given it up. Um, and I was super into the idea of basically just like buying, you know, a hundred dollars worth of DVDs every week. And that would be the things that I watched. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, but yeah, I mean, I just, um, I don't know. Like it's, it's an interesting time period and it's a really good time period for me because it's when I'm really starting to discover through like these companies, um, not necessarily things that were like modern releases, but you know, like three, four years old, right? Um, from Asian horror, so yeah, yeah cool. All right, so let's just go ahead and jump right in. Uh, number five on your list is Freddy vs. Jason, it is directed by Ronnie Wu. It stars Robert England, of course, Ken Kersinger as Jason, Monica Kino as Jason Ritter, and Kelly Rowland. Has a 42% from critics and a 50% from audiences. So, why did this movie make the list? Is his last name really said Wu? Ron- no, Ronnie, Ronnie Wu. You. 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 Oh, you. Okay. I think. I don't know. I mean, maybe I'm not saying it right. Okay. I don't speak no Chinese. Um, in any other year, this movie probably doesn't make the list. So, it, it's a hard movie to talk about because I think that the general idea of Freddy versus Jason is a fantastic idea. And it was one of those things that for like a decade had been talked about. Like you, you would read about it in like Fangora, Fangoria and it would be in like Starlog sometimes or like I think Wizard did a thing on it in the mid 90s about this idea of having this like Freddy versus Jason movie. Right. But it was one of those, the feeling that you'd had that like, you know, this is never going to happen. Like we're never going to see this movie, you know, come out. So you would kind of just like give up on it and then when it was announced and it was actually being made it was really pretty exciting and for being a horror fan you know that you grew up in the 80s where freddie and jason were like two of the you know the biggest draws in terms of like when you went to the video store like when you were a kid like what you wanted to rent it was pretty exciting so theoretically this movie should be amazing and really probably should have been one of the better movies of each franchise i think right um i mean the basic premise is that that freddie can't get the kids of springdale or whatever to be like like dream anymore where you can kill them because they're all in meds Uh to keep them from dreaming so his plan is to take jason and let jason loose there to murder people so that they're afraid again so that he can like invade their dreams and kill them um, which is honestly a pretty ingenious premise in a way of like getting those two characters together um, and should have been really successful. So in a lot of ways, there's a lot of really big like fight scene moments in this movie where it's like set piece fights between Freddy and Jason, both in the real world and in like dreams or whatever. The biggest problem is that is honestly like the direction of this movie. And that's what keeps it, I think, from being, like, a truly, I don't know, like, iconic, like, classic horror film in a lot of ways. Because Ronnie Yu just can't stop, like, fucking 
moving the camera or making dumb sound effects when things happen. Mm-hmm. There's a scene in uh, maybe about I don't know, 30 minutes into the movie where Freddy and Jason are fighting each other in Freddy's like dreamscape, which is the super distorted like boiler room area um, that's in a lot of like Nightmare on Elm Street movies. And Freddy does something like he hits Jason and Jason does some kind of like Tom and Jerry, like bounce around the pipe. Shit. <laughs> yes. Uh-huh. And it's like, boing, 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 boing. Uh-huh. And you're watching it. And it's, I understand that part of the charm of Freddy Krueger is like the comedic element, like mixed in with the horrific where like he's doing things that are absurd because it's got dream logic, but it still is like horrifying. Uh-huh. But in this case, like the shit rarely works. Um, I'm not a big fan of the Freddy Krueger makeup in this movie. Like, I don't like the way he looks, especially in close up. I think he's really fake looking. Um, and I just, I, I find it to be like too hyperkinetic. Like, I don't know what exactly I wanted. And I think really it's the time period and the influence of, I mean, because Ronnie Yu is a Chinese director um, who had done. Uh, he ended up doing like a bunch of other, like some other horror movies. Yeah, he had done um, Bride, Bride of Chucky by this point, right? I think. Uh, that's after, isn't it? I don't know. Yeah, before, I think. But he, he also had before. done, oh yeah, it is before you were right. He had also had done um, the Bride with White Hair series, which are really good, like action, hmm. um, whatever. I don't, I almost said kung fu, but it's not kung fu. It's like swordplay um, action movies. Mm-hmm. The problem is it's very specific to a certain style and a certain genre, and it's not the horror genre. And so it feels really cheap a lot of times when you're watching it. Um, I I still mostly enjoyed watching this movie this time, but I felt just... I remember like how let down I felt when I watched it in the theater, just because it's so... like It's just too goofy. And yes. ending it with the whole wink and a nod to like... I don't mind that they don't like have a quote unquote winner. Like, I don't think there needs to be a winner anyway, but sure. the whole like Jason carrying Freddie's head out of the water and him like winking and laugh. I don't know. <laughs> so I, I put the movie on the list initially out of nostalgia and I couldn't remember, like I, I had like a vague recollection of not really enjoying it, but I couldn't remember why. And then when I watched it again, I a hundred percent remembered like, you know, this is why this movie was not for me. Um, I think a toned down, more methodical, um, psychological movie in terms of like the Freddy Krueger aspect mm. and just like grimy, um, because it all feels overproduced. Like you never mm. feel any kind yes. of like. There's a movie that and we're going to talk about next that goes the complete opposite where it's too grimy and too dark and like everything's like wet and sloppy and whatever (laughs) and it's like there needs to be a balance between those two things and here it's like everything is just i mean there's a scene where freddy krueger is like using his claws to like chop the ends off of um like compressed air tubes to shoot him at jason yes and it's just ridiculous it's like something out of fucking gi joe so (laughs) There's a whole lot of, like, potential in this movie where it could have been, I think, truly fantastic, and 
I think the production and I think the direction like sells it short where it's just not that great. Um, but still, it's it's still fun to watch. You know, still entertaining enough. Just you know, nothing nothing special. Where I think it could have been like really a special movie. Yeah, I think ultimately I agree with you. I mean, I I think it's just a fun like it was like a fun movie like throw on and like you know kind of like just like zone out and watch. Uh, if you're not expecting anything out of it, and I don't think I was expect I've never seen it before, and I I I don't think I was expecting anything, and I actually don't really care about the idea so much of Freddie going against Jason. So it was just kind of like a ludicrous. That's why fun I love movie the for I- me. Right, that's why, like, the premise of it, I think, is amazing. Like, the idea that Freddy is using Jason in his hubris because he just views him as, like, a tool, and then, like, almost, like, immediately loses control over this tool Mm -hmm. and has to try and go and, like, kind of take it back because... Like, the dude's taking all his kills, basically, which is, like, right. the funniest part. It's just yeah. like, Jesus, like, I, you're supposed to be sending them to me, not me right. sending them to you. <laughs> right. Like, that's that's hilarious. And I think that, but it's also interesting, you know, and I think you really could have done mm-hmm. a good job, like, tightening that, where, like, maybe you have some humor once in a while, just because that's how Freddy is. And the Friday the 13th movies have that in them, too, but don't make it the entire thing was like this over the top overblown actiony fight fest or whatever that ultimately i don't know to me like falls short of its potential so yeah like i again like i i, I don't think i was ever like kind of like really disappointed or annoyed by it but um the only thing that like kind of like annoyed me is like uh freddy's uh, yoda moves like right. like oh yeah yeah like you uh, prequel like, yoda moves like uh-huh. you know it's, like like tighten up in a ball and spinning and shit like i yeah. I, I didn't well i'm using the force to throw jason like <laughs> right. all over the dreamscape right. that stuff's ridiculous it wasn't so, fun when yoda did it and it wasn't it wasn't any more fun when freddie was going. as as a coda to this like whatever mini review um or discussion there was originally supposed to be a sequel to this do you know about this was this the um, ash thing yeah involving ash that uh, would have been fun character from the evil dead yeah. Where it was Ash versus Freddy versus Jason, mm-hmm. um, where I think that maybe it was going to be called like Evil Dead versus Freddy versus Jason. Yeah. Um, but Ash would have been like the protagonist, like trying to take them all down. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's I think that would have been a really cool premise, but I'll like ultimately they never got it to work. Yeah. Um, they did make some comics that were based on it that I've never read, mm. uh, so I can't say one way or another. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think all I. I think the premise of it's pretty cool, and I think that it could have been a much better movie if they would have just. I, don't know. I agree with the grimier thing. Like, yeah, definitely. I think it should have been less. I don't know. There's something about this to- whole time period with a lot of American horror movies that's just they all look the same to right. me, it's, and, the, and this falls into that. It's what I call fat horror, <laughs> like fat ghosts, fat killers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. everything's big and bright and colorful and nobody can yeah. take anything seriously yeah like no, everything looks the same no matter where you are in the country it feels like no matter like yeah. you know every yeah um i mean the the funniest thing about all of that too is that um um well, the movie we're going to talk about next is the beginning of like 
this French like extremism um, movement that's the complete opposite of that. So it's it, it's an interesting juxtaposition. Yeah. It's not necessarily why I put them together, but I think it's kind of funny to put them together like sure. that. Sure. So. Well, let's just move on. So the next yeah. movie on your list is High Tension, in some places also known as Switchblade Romance. It is directed by Alexandre Aja. It stars Cecil de France and My Win. It has a 40% from critics on Rotten Tomato and a 67% from audiences. So, so, picking up from what you were saying. This is a movie that I was ridiculously excited to see before it came out. Um, because it legitimately had one of the best trailers of the early 2000s. Uh, using the Sonic Youth cover of um, Superstar, the Carpenter song. Yeah. Um, with like some really haunting imagery. Um, and it just really felt like it was going to be this amazing like throwback grindhouse horror movie Mm -hmm. and in some ways it kind of is but so the first thing and this is like ridiculous that we're doing like this in two movies in a row on like a best of list but (laughs) the first real problem with um high tension is the fact that it's dubbed in english and that's really the only version of it i think that exists Mm -hmm. and the english dub is terrible like the voice acting is awful um, it doesn't really match itself. Like the syncing is really bad. Um, and the dialogue is pretty lame. Like it feels like it's written by a non-English speaker. And in that case, just fucking like have the movie be in French and dubbed or whatever. or sure. subtitled. Yeah. Like there's no need to. I forgot about that. And I was really disappointed when I watched it with that dub. Yeah. Well, that was it. So I went back and looked because I didn't remember it being that bad, but it's really bad. So, the movie starts off, I think, pretty brilliantly in yes. terms of the pacing and the setup. Um, two girls are on, um, not really holiday, but like kind of like a weekend holiday uh, to go to the um, the one girl's parents' house who live in um, uh, provincial, like, French countryside. Um, when they get there, uh, they have, like, a quiet evening. Um, the one girl who has some pretty obvious like lesbian undertones um, throughout the movie. Uh, She's kind of like staying to herself and she's been annoyed with her friend because her friend is um, in her opinion, like kind of throwing herself at this guy that she shouldn't really be interested in. So it starts off just as like this quiet, I don't know, almost like this. It's not similar in terms of what's happening in the movie, but similar sort of in setup to like something like audition. Right. Where it's just this very simple, like, movie about, like, people. And then there's a scene where a man is filleting himself with the severed head of a woman. Um, and it kind of goes downhill from there. So they're in bed at night. Um, the friend, fuck, I can't remember. It's Marie and what's the other one's name? Oh, geez. I didn't write that. Anna or something like that? Sounds right. Uh, hold on. It's uh, Marie, Marie, and, Marie Alex. and Alexia. Yeah. Right. So Marie um, is masturbating upstairs, I guess. Like, you're supposed to think that she's thinking about her friend because she saw her friend naked um, through the window while she was outside smoking. And this man comes into the house and proceeds to murder the entire family um, in a pretty gruesome way. So I'll say that I've never seen the director's cut of this movie before watching it this time. 
and um i was pretty pretty taken not not taken aback because like i knew it was coming but i was pretty um shocked a little bit by how graphic the violence is Mm. um with just like a few extra seconds of the way they cut things scenes together or the way that they um present it so the man breaks into the house murders the father um murders the child's son murders the mother um and then takes the friend um the alexis character takes her prisoner um hide like putting her in his truck and locking the door um you see um alice escape or marie escape and she is kind of like following around and then goes into the truck to help her friend escape um but she gets trapped in it and they're um taken to this uh taken on like kidnapped basically and taken to this gas station and marie tries to go in but the um the man at the gas station gets murdered and she just narrowly avoids like getting killed or getting seen i guess um so anyway so the first 45 50 minutes of this movie are this really tense um serial killer kidnapping movie um where you're really I, I think you're really invested in the idea of Marie like saving her friend and staying out of harm's way. And then you get the twist. Um, and the twist being that there is no killer, right? That it's actually Marie who's the killer and who had murdered her friend's family because she's in love with her and wanted her for herself. And then the movie plays out with, you know, her stalking the friend and she ends up getting um basically hit by a car and um the movie ends with her in a psychiatric hospital and um sort of like a jump scare moment but i remember when we first saw this movie when i first saw this movie i was um at a movie theater in western maryland because i was interviewing for a job um it's when i worked for regal cinemas and on the night that i was there just kind of like hanging out, like seeing what the theater looked like and watching people work like kind of surreptitiously. I just walked in and watched the first, I don't know, like 45 minutes of the movie just randomly. Mm-hmm. So I didn't see the twist when we first, when I first watched the movie. And I think I remember you, you watched this with me, right? Yeah. Like we watched at, this at together Regal, yeah. at Regal. Mm-hmm. And I remember telling you how great like the opening was and how mm-hmm. like, oh man, this like, this movie's awesome. And then you, get to that twist and it's hard to explain like why it's so bad because when you say it it doesn't sound as bad as that like it actually sounds kind of cool but i feel like it's so can i take a stab at it yeah go ahead i think i think what it is is that you were you you get pulled into like you say this kind of like grisly gruesome like you know tense throwback and they have to ruin it with this like modern mind fuck and i think you get so invested in that first 45 minutes and just wanting to see that play itself out that when they throw the twist in it feels so unnecessary because you're so invested that it sucks the wind out of the movie it also feels unearned in the sense that like when you go back and think about what happened it never quite matches up exactly in the way that like makes sense yeah from the perspective of 
she was the one that actually did it. Mm -hmm. And I guess like, as long as you're willing to just accept the fact that all that stuff was in her head, that it's fine. But it's like, I don't know. And it's, it's just a little too dirty, like purposefully dirty for me, I guess. I don't Mm. know. I, I can't explain why, but like watching it, I just kind of was like, all right, like that's enough, like fucking like filthy ass grime. And (laughs) I don't know. Like, I, I get it. His fingers are dirty. And so I so I started thinking, and I've never actually, like, read any um, critical analysis or reviews of this movie. Uh-huh. Is this movie meant to be a criticism of how, like, feminists view men, do you think? Oh, I don't even know how much of that, that kind of analysis really exists um on this movie i don't think it's like that highly regarded in that respect um say it to me again though i think that that aha is making a veiled criticism at how feminists view men Hmm. like not in reality but in his perception of what he thinks a lesbian like thinks about a man right sure so she's projecting herself into the men that she hates Uh by being this filthy fat sweaty grimy rapist murderer Mm -hmm. you know what i mean but in reality it's like that's her psychosis so it's almost it's almost like a harmful um our friend Bledsoe asked a question, and I still don't really understand why he asked the question the other day about um, <laughs> queer horror. Yeah. And it was ironic because, you know, obviously we planned doing this episode for many months. Mm-hmm. So we already were going to talk about it this week. But I thought it was ironic because I consider this to be queer horror. Sure. In the sense that the main character is 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 portrayed as being gay Mm -hmm. but how harmful is it like it's almost as bad as the 70s giallo with the you know the priest touched me when i'm a kid so now i dress up like a woman and stab sure right yeah no i i i see where you're going with it and yeah like i i get that i i think you're right um i also think it plays into a number of tropes like kind of like lesbian tropes of this time period and earlier of everything having to be tragic um that like uh and even more so than with gay males like uh lesbians like have uh, constantly criticized the idea that nothing good or positive can ever happen to lesbians a lot of times um and and i, I think it falls into that as well um but uh, i think your point is more more important here which is that Yes, it's a negative portrayal of a lesbian, um, ultimately, and um, how errant their thinking is of men. I agree. So I think that's part of the other issue I have with it, is just this, like, she becomes so one-dimensional after it's revealed that she's just crazy. Um, To the point where at the end, there's not even any nuance to it, she's just a lunatic. Yes, um, and I think that that's, I think that you get diminishing returns with Alejandro Aja anyway, yeah. over the course of his career. Um, and he becomes just somebody that 
is like an inch deep and six inches wide, basically. Like he's not really making anything but glitzy movies that have some shocking imagery in them. Yeah. Um, and the problem is, so there's another thing I want to talk about this movie, and that's the Dean Koontz criticism of it. Um, you and I talked about this in probably about a year after this movie came out in the idea that um, Dean Koontz, people had said that his book, um, fuck, I can't think of what it's called now. Uh, Was it Hideaway? No, it's not Hideaway. Um, Intensity, right? Yeah, Intensity. Yeah. So that his book, somehow that AHA had like read and ripped off um, Intensity to make this movie. Mm-hmm. And it is the most like lame ass criticism, and Dean Koontz just like shits all over this movie, and you know probably rightly so. But just because it is about a serial killer like murdering a family, like there's that's where the similarities end. So maybe the first like twenty five minutes of this movie can be somewhat like quote unquote inspired by intensity, but after that it's like nothing, right? Similar to it at all. Sure. Um. And Intensity is not even that good of a book because I bought it like I like the mark that I am to read it to see. <laughs> and Dean, Dean Koontz got you. Yeah. Like 30 pages in, I was like, okay, like this, these, these things are not the same. Right. Um, but that's the problem is that AHA creates like this great opening. Like it's just this, it's, it's slow. And then it just like beats you up for like 30 minutes and then it's just, I don't know, it just falls apart, kind of. And I think a big part of that is the fact that because it pulls the swerve on you with the protagonist, um, you kind of lose, like, any investment in, um, you know, the rest of the movie, I think. so. I yeah, and, and, and I, I never really given much thought to the protagonist because, honestly, like this movie disappointed me so much in 2003 and, and, and I, I oddly felt disappointed all over again, watching it this time that I, I haven't given it much. I, I never given it much thought. Um, but I think you're right. Um, so I think it's, there's, there's problematic nature on top of it being kind of like a disappointing, but I will say just so we're not like completely, I think the first like 40 minutes of this basically is still the gas station, right? right. Like I think it's, is fucking well done. Like, it's like, it's just this tale of two movies where it's this great damn movie until you get to the mind fuck and then it just kind of falls apart and is just, I don't know, typical of the era to me, like, where it's like, it's all in their head or, um, that's what I associate a lot of the 2000s with is like that kind of shit. And um, so the, the interesting thing about this movie is that. It's kind of the genesis point for um, some really good films that come after it uh, in what they call broadly like the new extremity movement. And then in like a more specific terms, like the French like extremity movement. Um, And we've talked about several of the movies before, like um, we've talked about Frontiers. I think have we talked about Frontiers? I don't think so. Um, Well, we will at some point. Um, We talked about Inside. Um, Calvary is kind of like related to that. Um, mm-hmm. Oh, an interesting point. Calvary um, just got a re-release because I guess it's the yeah I heard the twenty-year anniversary of its release mm-hmm. with um, extra footage. So 
I'll be um I'll be buying that at some point to watch that shit. Mm-hmm. But so interesting that you know. Whereas it kind of falls short. Now the other thing too that comes out of this time period is stuff like um the uh, really disgusting shit, right? Yeah, G- Gaspar Noé, um mm-hmm. the Lars von Trier, like like Antichrist and Nymphomaniac, um probably like the House of Jack built, I guess probably is like a sort of extension of this. Yeah. That Martyrs movie um, too, right? Mart- that I Martyrs. never watched, and I ta- I've been told not to. Basically, here's here's the here here's what I would say about Martyrs. Number one, don't ever watch the American remake of Martyrs because it's terrible. Mm. The French movie is a fantastic movie. Like it's really a good movie, except it's really difficult to watch and is so aggressively bleak. Mm that you feel really bad after you watch Martyrs. Like, Martyrs is a movie where you watch it, and you kind of just sit there for a little while, like, lifeless, and then you don't want to do anything. Mm. Like, it really just kind of fucks you up. Yeah. That other movie, the Pregnant Woman movie, the French one you made me watch. Yeah, Inside. We did talk about that on the podcast. Yeah, Yeah, that's another one probably, right? La Yeah, it's it's part of that. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah extremism frontiers is a fantastic movie um to me to me it's like the french like texas chainsaw massacre yeah i think we talk i think i think we'll be talking about it sometime soon praise i can give it but um so yeah so aha kind of like jump starts this this horror movement um but ultimately like i think is unsuccessful in his um you know his endeavors so yeah but it's half of a really good movie, and like you just kind of laid out, like it, it kind of uh, informs the re- some of those other stuff coming later this year. Uh, yeah, for us later this year. So. Yeah. Um. Yeah, unfortunate, but um, still, oh, I th- I think it's still worth watching. Like if you've never seen it. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. But all right, so I guess we're. We're heading um, east now. Heading east. Yep. Yeah. Um, so number three on your list is Gozu, directed by Takashi Miike. It stars Yuta Sone, uh, Sho Ikawa, and Kamika Yoshino. It has a 72% from critics and 80% from audiences. So you want to tell us a little bit about this one and why I made the list? So... Hmm. <laughs> it's hard to not put a Takashi Miike movie on a best of list from any given year. Um, just because Miike is always going to do something interesting with the movies sure. that he makes. Yeah. We had talked about, uh, when is the categories? 2001, I guess, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we already talked about happiness of the categories. We have some other movies we'll talk about eventually. Mm-hmm. Mike's movies always feel like he saw something else and was like, you know what? Like, I'm going to make the Japanese version of that, but just make it ridiculous. And I think that this is the reaction to seeing some Lynch movies, basically. Because this is really... I think it's Mahal and Drive, probably, in 2001. In in his own weird, like, almost inimitable style, like, an homage to David Lynch. Sure. Um... The basic premise of this movie is that there's this guy who's like a Yakuza captain who's going crazy. Um, 
his younger brother is sent to kind of take him out to the provinces to kill him um, because he's kind of a loose cannon, but his younger brother doesn't want to kill him. Then his younger brother kills him accidentally, but then he loses the body. So he's wandering around um, this small, like deserted seaside town trying to find the body. Um, and he encounters all these weird characters. And then he finds his brother again, but now his brother's like this beautiful young woman um, who keeps trying to have sex with him. And he's a virgin, it turns out, with an enormous penis, which is mentioned like numerous times in the movie. Um, so he brings his woman brother back to the Yakuza boss that wanted to murder him in the first place. Um, that Yakuza boss gets off by putting metal ladles in his anus um, in order to achieve erections. Um, he ends up getting mur- like killed by uh, Min- Minami, the, the younger brother. When Minami punches him with a ladle up his ass while he's trying to fuck his sister brother, and he dies through like orgasm, and then uh, sister brother convinces Minami to have sex with her, um, but it turns out that um, Ozakai or whatever the brother, older brother's name is, is actually living in her vagina and uses Minami's penis to, like, pull himself out, um, and basically give birth to himself, and then they all kind of live happily ever after, so... Right. Uh, mixed in with all of that is some um, pretty... It's a pretty good job, Frank. Yeah. I, and, I like, get, I, get, getting it down to its core. I, know, I yeah, wasn't I being I, facetious. <laughs> I think I hit the salient points. Um, <laughs> mixed in with all that, that ridiculous premise, is a lot of really unsettling and interesting imagery um from what i read Mike was inspired a lot by like urban legend and folklore in japan and i don't know a lot of like the things that you know it's like the idea of like the ghostly innkeeper and um i don't know about the woman's breast milk thing which is really weird but like the spiritual medium like communicating with the dead and then um the revenge like the specter coming back as like a like a beautiful woman to seek revenge on the person that murdered him um all those things are like tropes in japanese mythology um or folklore whatever you want to call it um and it really does have like a dreamy like it, i i think it feels like an early 90s movie especially with the um the filters and the color tones that Mike uses to film it um, it's just very languorous and dreamlike almost to a fault at times where it doesn't feel like things are happening for a very long time <clears throat> you're just kind of seeing like weird things or there's a repeated motif um, as uh, Minami is going into this bar slash restaurant where these two men are having a conversation about a phone call the one man had with somebody else about how hot it is and whether he was wearing t-shirts and it just is like constant repetition of these phrases mm-hmm. almost to the point where it becomes like a mantra where you kind of almost just sort of zone out on it um Mike is a, a beautiful like filmmaker like he makes really amazing imagery and not necessarily amazing movies like there's definitely some movies he makes that are incredible, I think, and have um, uh, good plots and stuff. Like, I think his um, Harry Carey remake is fantastic. 
Um, I think his Satoichi movie is really good. Um, his sort of remake of Seven Samurai, Magnificent Seven, um, and 13 Assassins is really fucking good. Um, and then sometimes it makes a movie like this where you can't fault it for how it looks because it's beautiful and it like draws you in. And at times, like, I think it is really compelling, mm-hmm. even in its grotesquery, because there's a lot of like really like grotesque moments in this movie. Yeah. Um, but, but it's just, it, it's, it's too long by about 30 minutes yeah. and like nothing happens. And it might just be maybe like we appreciate Lynch when he does it because Lynch is making movies in our language mm-hmm. and we're watching a movie that I think, really relies upon an inherent knowledge of folklore and culture. Yeah, he's and, using the symbols of our collective unconscious as Americans, I think, Lynch, and this is not. Yeah, so it's th- there's there's actually the perfect encapsulation of this. There's a scene where Minami is directed to go to um, talk to this woman who might have seen his brother, because his brother's corpse disappears from his car and he's looking for him. And he goes into this room, and the woman's there, and she's talking. And when you read the subtitles, it is part. It's it's parsing her words so that they have like pauses in between them. But because I'm not, a, you know, and you probably felt the same way. I'm not a native speaker mm-hmm. of Japanese. Like I don't understand it. Right. So I'm not actually hearing those pauses necessarily. But what you find out is that she's reading a, a cue card off the wall. And she's pausing every time because the cue card is like pushed into a corner and she's kind of like reading back and forth. And I don't know why that like all of it makes no sense, but I know that there's something there. Sure. That is meant to make sense if you understand it. And I think that may be the problem. Like, I think I don't think it's a I don't think it's a terrible movie. And I don't think that there's I think it's definitely worth watching. Mm-hmm. especially if you're a fan of Mike and his movies like mm-hmm. but you should never it, this is also the problem with Takashi Mike is that you can go watch a Tarantino movie or even a David Lynch movie or a Wes Anderson movie or a Paul Thomas Anderson movie and you can kind of expect a certain thing if you're a fan of the other movies of that person's you know whatever filmography that is absolutely never true with Takashi Miike. Like every Takashi Miike movie is a unique thing unto itself, and you can love one and absolutely despise another easily. I think, and I think that's one of the things with Gozu. Like if you've watched Audition and enjoyed it, or you like um, Ichi the Killer, and you or you really like Katakuri's, maybe or even something like. Um, Rikio or whatever mm-hmm. like don't Im- immediately think that you're gonna watch Gozu and be like oh this movie's amazing because you might <laughs> like absolutely despise it so yeah I, yeah, I say- mean we've documented my like you know like kind of like history with Mike. well not fully yet but I mean like where I'm really mixed on the guy and even in the same movie sometimes um so yeah like this he always is making different movies and that's one of the things besides just being this kind of like incredible filmmaker even if i don't like the story or i don't like the movie um there's always something interesting about the guy and it's always different and i can really respect that a lot i mean here's here's one of the craziest pieces of praise i can give this man he made one of the most 
uncomfortable and graphic action movies ever in each the killer then mm-hmm. i i mean you and i feel completely differently about that mm-hmm. but it's like i think it's a fantastic movie and then made one of the best like kids movies i've seen in decades in the great yokai war right and i don't know like that's that's what this guy is like he just yeah like it's just always something different and it's really always interesting to kind of see um you know like the movies that he makes and again i think that his um some of his later stuff is really good really worth watching especially from like a classical cinema perspective because he really does have a good eye for framing and oh yeah dot composition and he's a good director yeah um but yeah this is a movie that you definitely yeah ultimately like i think as as a english-speaking american without like a ton of knowledge myself you you certainly know i think the the country and the culture more than i do um maybe outside of professional wrestling but uh it becomes this kind of inscrutable movie in some ways i think like even though i really respect the filmmaking and i and i i have i have this feeling that it's to some degree making fun of lynch like it's like a part homage part tongue-in-cheek homage like um that's the feeling i get from it because i think he goes too far sometimes and i don't think that's excess I think it's purposely done to get a laugh. Um is what it feels like it to me. Maybe, like, but I still think he's got a huge amount of respect for Lynch and what like Lynch has done. Well, I right, we do too and we we still make jokes. Oh yeah, um, sure. You know, so I I think that's kind of what's going on is that like there's still this tongue in cheek nature a little bit to to the homage like where it's like kind of like a little like rib at times um i'm assuming this movie has to do with sexuality um is my guess like homosexuality maybe um mm-hmm. like like gaining like accepting one's own sexuality or something like that probably but again it's like like i said it's inscrutable to me like i can't like necessarily make heads or tails of it um because i think i need to know a hell of a lot more about the culture i i, I think I think it's not so much sexuality as it is like deeper love, maybe, or almost like like I think that the movie is about this bond between two brothers that almost transcends familial or sexual love mm. to being something else. To the point where, like, they're joined by it. And I don't think that it's homosexual. I think that's why it, like, manifests itself through a woman as opposed to, like, through actual, like, homosexual sex. Because I think the implication of the last shot of that movie is that both of those brothers are now, like, living in a romantic relationship with the woman that basically birthed, gave rebirth to um, the older brother. I mean, here's, here's my tagline for gozu if you've ever wanted to see a grown man crawl out of a tiny woman's vagina this is the movie for you you're just gonna have to wait two hours and eight minutes to get to that point yeah it's way too long um and that scene is excruciating yes like that's like a 12 minute scene of him like starting with like like the the sex itself which is super uncomfortable because it's sure 
it's incestuous. Oh, it's so awkward too. Like the even like the yeah, yeah, it's so awkward. And then, like to have just like seriously like ten minutes of a man crawling from a woman's vagina using his brother's erect penis as like a uh fucking like pull bar or whatever um that's you know that's what you're getting right so if, if that is appealing or at least not like upsetting to you it is worth I also watching. i also don't necessarily think that this is a a horror movie either like this is a psychological meditation on life and love done by a psychopath basically so i don't know but it, there's very little that's actually horrific it's more uncomfortable and right yeah i don't know but anyway yeah yeah it's fantastical but as a, yeah I, I don't think it's a horror movie like oh well it gets deemed as a horror movie, which is why it would make your list here. But um, I, I don't think the horror elements are that strong in it, like traditional. And I think that's I think that's more the, the Mike association rather than um, sure, it actually being like a horror film, right? So. Right. All right. Uh, so number two on your list is Acacia. It is directed by Park Ki Young. It stars Shim Yai Jin, Kim Jin Jian, and Moon Yu Bin. It has no rating on from critics on uh, Rotten Tomatoes and has a 42% from audiences. So you want to tell us a little bit about this one and why it made the list? Uh, so this movie and the number one movie on the list are kind of... Um, I mean, I think they're the two best movies on this list, but they're also kind of like bookends to each other in a lot of ways um the premise of this movie is that there's a husband and wife who cannot have a child so they decide to adopt and the young boy they adopt is this kind of awkward quiet um artistic but possibly like disturbed young man um who they bring into their home and immediately runs afoul of uh, the mother-in-law um, and develops like a really close relationship with their tree in their yard. And you find out that it's because he thinks that um, basically like his, his mother was reborn. His mother who died um, was reborn into this tree. So that's like the premise you start with. Eventually the couple is able to have their own child. And so the adopted son, who was at one point like the light of his mother's life, is now kind of persona non grata in the house, um, runs away from home, and you comes back, and there's all this like weird shit that happens, and then you eventually find out that what happened was the mother um, was trying to cut down the tree. And the boy got in the way, and the mother struck the boy with an axe, and he was grievously wounded, and the father ended up murdering him, like, finishing him, and burying him under the tree. And a lot of the stuff that you've seen or, you know, thought that you were watching is actually just kind of, what would you call it, like, psychosis on the mother's part? Mm -hmm. um, imagining or whatever. Um, 
this is one of those it's one of those weird movies so you said it yourself that like you had to borrow my dvd version of it in order to watch it because it just doesn't exist anywhere um it's a weird movie in the sense that it's very it's a very slow burn and there's not a lot of like what i would call like overt horror in it while still being like a creepy and unsettling movie and ultimately i think and i don't think the twist is like broadcast at all like i think it's pretty surprising right. and again another reason why i think that it's kind of like a bookend piece to the number one movie because it's pretty similar in that respect um and they're both south korean um but it just kind of went went away like there's never i've never heard anybody else talk about this movie i've never seen it anywhere or on any lists or anything but i remember we had another movie that i put on the list that you couldn't find for a long time i think it was 2000 or 2001 called um shinkoku Mm -hmm. um which is a japanese horror movie that was really similar like one of these things where not over the top and nothing that i guess kind of like drew the attention of um like the masses or whatever like inspired anyone to imitate it but just really well done really well filmed um creepy you know like Mm -hmm. well acted um I really feel like it's got kind of a like a Stephen King feel to it in a way. Like it feels like a Stephen King short story or something. Right. And I mean that in like the best, like as the best compliment where it feels like classic and well-constructed and effective. And I don't know, Mm -hmm. I just really, um, I really dug it when I first saw it and I hadn't watched it since probably 2003. Mm-hmm. Um, and I saw it, it was this year and I was excited to put it on the list and it was good to watch it again. So, yeah. So to your point, so it's like Rotten Tomatoes, there's three reviews up from critics. Um, that's, it doesn't have enough to, to actually get a score. Um, two of them are positive and one is, is negative, basically saying it's not scary. Um, uh, but the people that are reviewing it are, it's, it's filmcritic.com. Um, Oh, good old Scott Weinberg, which I always see from eFilm Critic, and then Dread Central. Those are the three reviews that are up. Um, yeah, Dread, Dread Central makes sense because they were... Um, I'm actually surprised that Bloody Disgusting doesn't have a review of it, considering that like they were like the Asian horror review hub of like this time. And it could be that they do, I mean, but sometimes they just don't submit them, I think, um, because it's like, why are we submitting this for this movie? Like, but it it still works to what you're saying. Um, Yeah, like it it is a little surprising with some of these movies because like to me, it's like it's going to come out sounding wrong. Like if you know, if you know them and I know you know your shit, but it's like if you know them, it's like, how is this not like available somewhere? like without like rights issues or something like that and it doesn't seem like there's any rights issues it just seems like it's been forgotten yeah i think people just forgot it yeah and that's it's really weird to me that it's like this is only 20 years old and has already been forgotten and maybe that's just a product of time i don't know um i guess i would just be starting to notice these things now like at our age but um maybe that's just what happens but uh yeah i watched this i I thought it was good. I 
I, I thought it was good performances uh, out of the primary cast. Uh, I thought the kid was believable, like in his kind of like oddity, like oddness and creepiness yeah. and stuff like that, which I don't Makes say you feel sad for him too. Yeah, 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 absolutely. I don't really say that often, it's true, but I, I think the child does like a really good role here because the creepy child thing is kind of like, yeah. Um, but I think it's like he's creepy, but he's sad, but he's also like, you know, like, like a little weird and. I think that works. Um, I mean, I think my only criticism really is like it, and I don't even know if it's true. It felt like it had too many endings uh, towards the end. Like it felt like, oh, this is the end. Nope, it's uh, there's a little yeah. bit more. Oh, and then there's a little bit more. There's a couple more minutes, um, and then the credits come, and it's like, oh, there's still a little bit more. Like um, that's like my only mild criticism of it. Uh, yeah, solid movie. It's weird that like people don't talk about it more to me because. I, I I wouldn't I don't know why you wouldn't. Um, right. Yeah. It seems like a pretty early example, right? I mean, but I think there's also there was a saturation point with Asian horror where there was just too much of it, and people kind of got sick of it, which is kind of the lull. And we'll see this in I don't know, like oh eight oh nine. I think without going back and looking specifically, um, it's really like I people moan about these movies but it's really it follows babadook the witch like that's what kind of brings horror back after this the big push of like asian horror sure because people got real tired of seeing like the long-haired spooky girl you know in the movie and there's so many movies that were like that that when someone saw that it was from an asian country i think the assumption just became like right bucket like it's just going to be the same thing and i don't care um, but I think those movies can still be really effective, you know, like, and I think that Acacia is a really good example of, and I, the next movie too, that I, and we've talked about that movie before anyway, but mm. a really good example of a movie where you can just say like, it stays with you a little bit, like it's interesting to watch. Yeah. And, um, there, there's images yeah. that will always stick with me from this movie. Yeah, it's the ability of this director um to f- make you feel unease at looking at a fucking tree i yeah. guess it's sound is a big part of that too yeah. yeah there's a little lynching element there too i think like lynchian lynchian yeah uh, yeah i agree but um, it's much more of a straight horror movie than seeing something like you know gozu or- oh sure yes <laughs> yes um no, a solid movie. I um, I'm glad you put it on the list so I could watch it. Um, glad I was able to get it to you to watch. Yeah, right. because uh, yeah, I I searched and searched and searched and couldn't could not find it. No, even even legally with torrents and stuff, couldn't find it. Um, it's not out there. All right, so number one on your list, also Korean horror, A Tale of Two Sisters, uh, directed by Kim Ji Woon. We have talked previously about this movie on epi- way back in episode 49, the top five psychological horror films. Um, probably downloaded episode four. So you want to tell us, it has 85% from critics, 83% from audiences, highly regarded all the way around. Yeah. Um, so you want to just kind of tell us just a little bit about this and... Um, why are you holding such high regard as uh, with everybody else? Um, one of the few movies that can be remade and still be effective. Um, 
based off of a uh, Korean folktale, uh, Red Lotus something. I can't remember. It's like Two Flowers or whatever is the name of it. But um, it's the story of these two sisters who go to live with their father after the death of their mother. Um, they dislike their new stepmother. Um, there's some weird like haunting shit in the house where you get the impression that maybe the stepmother was responsible for the death of their mother. Um, and then ultimately there's a twist at the end, um, which we've spoiled in the original talking, but I, you know, if you've never seen it before, I'm not going to spoil it now. Um, very, very effective horror elements to this movie. Like there's a lot of really, and I just said that, you know, people got, got kind of tired of the girl with the long hair, but I look at like this and I look at Cairo, um, the pulse movie. Mm-hmm. as being like real trendsetters in the idea of like how you film the way things move in a unique way that makes it unsettling and alien and still like ultimately believable and scary and I think the Tale of Two Sisters has a number of scenes that fit that description and then when you get to the end of the movie where you find out what the twist of the movie is like it's 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 heartbreaking and it's poignant and super effective um really great performances in this movie um to my complaint about uh, high tension being like dirty this movie has the right blend of like clean and crisp but also like decaying and like rot like hiding under like these bright exteriors and it's just um yeah it's a good movie. It's yes. a great movie. It's it's one of yes. my favorite horror movies of the two thousands, um, and definitely a movie I think that deserves the praise that it receives, um, and one that's worth watching. Uh, I don't know where it's available. I have it on DVD, so that's how I watched it again. But um, I'm pretty sure it's available streaming. It was somewhere, right? not right now it's not um it was available on youtube actually um up until about maybe like a week ago or so and the copy that was the the subtitled copy that was up has now disappeared but um that's how i was able to watch it was i guess probably now that it's been pulled probably illegally on youtube but um that was the only place it was at it's been on asian crush at different points um which is a decent service with ads um, for Asian stuff, um, particular, there's a lot of Asian horror on there a lot of times, but, um, that's some of my go-tos when I'm watching some of the stuff that I look, look at first, but, um, yeah, unfortunately not available anywhere right now. Yeah. It says that it's a premium subscription on Prime right now, but when you actually look at Amazon, there's, it's not, um, the title is just unavailable, so. Uh, you, you guys want to come hang out and watch it, be my guest. <laughs> Yeah, I this I think this is like one of like the the crown jewels really to me of um of horror during the like Asian horror during this time. Um I find it even though I like things like the the Japanese things like Juwan and and that kind of stuff like I uh from a horror standpoint, I I really like the psychological depth of this and uh, the drama of it and like the slow burn nature like of like mixing the horror with like like a true like kind of like fleshed out like plot and stuff like mm-hmm. that and I, I really enjoy this movie a lot 
Um, this is, I guess, like the third time I've watched it, but every time I watch it, I'm I'm really taken in by it and really enjoy um, the imagery and stuff and like how the like the the horror scene aspect scenes of it play out. So yeah, um, it's definitely like probably of this decade, like probably one of my it's become one of my favorite movies, horror movies probably. I guess. Um, I think I'm really just turned off ultimately until later in the decade. There's stuff like by American movies during this time period. Right. Well, again, I mean, I, it's kind of like a shitty subtle way to say it, but it really is just like, they're all like fat. Like they're too big. (laughs) There's too much like flesh and I don't know. It's just not scary. It's like, it doesn't feel yeah. like, look, ultimately, as a grown-up, you're probably not that scared by anything, mm-hmm. and you understand that things are fake, but... Sure. But you could be made to feel uneasy. Like, you For... watch something, we, we, we talked about this movie before, it's the um, Kayushi Kurosawa movie, Creepy. Do, do yeah. you and I talk about this? With the family that, like, kind of, like is taken over by the guy that is like, I don't know, just breaks into their house and it's this yes. crazy, like sometimes slow burn. Sometimes it just like assaults you. And I don't know, man, it's, um, it's super effective and like really unsettling. And I don't know, like it feels real and it feels uncomfortable and it's like like, then you watch some garbage like uh what the fuck insidious or something like that (laughs) right yeah like who the fuck cares like that shit's trash Mm -hmm. so yeah um talented director though he goes on also to direct uh, i saw the devil which we talked about can you believe it frank way back in episode nine i love that movie we talk about it again if you want (laughs) um yeah, great movie, but it feels like I didn't watch it that long ago. Um, but it's been five years, so um, you should watch it again. Yeah, I probably will at some point. But uh, yeah, maybe that's just like that uh time out of joint shit that's like keeps happening. The older I get, like where time doesn't if, make sense anymore. If, it's like all collapsing on itself. If you would have asked me, I would have told you we talked about that maybe like last year. So yeah, it would yeah it would have been in um. Yeah, it was one of the first episodes we didn't re-record, so it still would have been in uh, 18, yeah, like September, something like 18 or something, um, which is crazy, but yeah, um, so we'll be back, n- talk about time out of joint, we'll be back next week with uh, a return slot of Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. Um, which Breaking Kayfabe we have already pre-recorded. Um, but we're right now covering Frank's vacation, which um you got to be excited for, right? Yeah, I'm super excited. It's on uh right now we're recording this on a Friday night, so on Tuesday I'm gonna be on a plane flying to Thailand. And so. then when you're hearing this right now, it's gonna be two weeks after he was on that plane. So you know, wrap your head around it. I'm coming to educate yourself to this reality. Just so you know, right now it's 2566 in Thailand, 
So we're actually, I'll be several hundred years in the future. So what? not only, yeah, the year in Thailand is, because like, it's based on the Buddhist advent or whatever. Okay. So whereas we base our calendar on like 2,023 years since the birth of Christ, um, there's a similar, but Buddha's older than Christ. So gotcha. Okay. So they what get, year is get, it there? They get 500 more years. Uh, 2566, I think it just okay. turned. Okay. Right now, I so I'm always off because of the time difference. But right now is Songkran in Thailand, which is New Year, and it lasts from the 13th to the 15th, roughly. Um, so Songkran is the festival of water, and it's like the cleansing of your, you know, your sins and good luck for the future coming year and stuff like that. So I think it just turned 2566. Okay. Today, I think. If I'm wrong about that, I apologize, but. 2566 sounds like it would be a horror movie or no somewhere like a sci-fi fantasy from... yeah that's fine i'll take it yeah um I'm living, living why in the future <laughs> why don't we have multiple days of new years like other countries do you think because we're no fun here we're a fucking protestant backwards repressed ass country they can't get out of our own fucking way and live in the now instead of like the fucking 1790s and I don't know what the fuck like we don't want to have a good time like over there they're carrying water guns and squirting each other all day mm-hmm. and laughing and getting drunk and nobody has to work for three days straight right here I had four meetings and ate goddamn Wawa for lunch again so <laughs> right it was good though. I mean, it was chicken corn chowder. It was pretty delicious. Yes, <laughs> it's the little things in life, right? But I ain't um, squirt no one with no squirt gun today. That's right. No, no you're not. Um, one week from t- no, it'll be over one week from today. Right, you're not squirting anybody with a squirt gun. Yeah, I ain't, ever I ain't. again. And you're well, no, I won't say that. Not ever again. Like you'll be over it probably at some point, and and but you're not going to do it here. No. Yeah, maybe someday I'll be there for Songkran. It's expensive right. over there for that. Yeah. It actually caused the first like week of my trip to be unnaturally expensive huh. in a way. Hmm. Um, but yeah, so in a week I'll be there. Um, I'll be in Bangkok. Yeah. It'll be 9 o'clock on Saturday morning and, you know, hanging out. Yep. Going to get some delicious food, getting ready to pack up and go to Pattaya the next day. Awesome. Nice. All right. Well, um, good luck with the trip. And uh, we'll be back with another pre recorded episode for you uh, next week. We might give you a surprise, fresh recorded episode, though, depending. On the Spin Chagrin, yes. Oh, right, right. It's the primary podcast. I know. It's like, that's what I'm saying. It's, it's all. It's out of it's, it's whack. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> It's out of whack. Let me say Not this. Whack. This, 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 this I'm, I'm, I'm flipping through Tubi because I'm just trying to uh-huh. put some stuff on a watch list for myself. Mm-hmm. You know, in Thailand right now, there's all this fun things happening, whatever. And we got fucking Dinesh D'Souza living in this country. Just, I don't know. Like, who? how fair is that? Dinesh D'Souza? I don't know who that is, and I don't know if eh, I can find out. All right, I won't tell you then. I was just making a reference, Frank. I don't know who this person is. Tell me. Um, he's a fucking like ultra white ring, ultra right wing 
Indian guy that's like super into conspiracy theories and okay. the right uses as like Does he have a two B series or something? No, no, no. He's made no. movies and stuff. Oh. Um okay. like here's proof that like ethnic races like are Republicans too, but he's a lunatic. So I don't know. Terrible man, terrible human being, like just awful in general. Fucking ridiculous opportunist who takes advantage of oh i know this guy okay he's, a, yeah. he's an absolute yeah some youtube people that i listen to like makes fun of this guy's filth. movies yeah right because he's filth he's trash yeah oh yeah here's a picture of him meeting reagan in 88 bet you reagan probably didn't remember that no i would have reagan remember 10 minutes after it happens they, they <laughs> jelly beans right isn't that the joke <laughs> yes. where's my jelly beans mother Yes. Yes. Oh, for the days um, of when splitting, spitting image or whatever the fuck those puppets were called was like the height of political commentary. Right. That's true. All I had to think about was could I play Legend of Zelda and with my G.I. Joes in the morning? Right. Well, hopefully you'll be uh, thinking about water guns some year, Frank. So I'm be thinking about and not real and not real ones. <laughs> uh, <laughs> You're thinking about some Tom in a few days. So, right. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. Have a good week. Deuces.